Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Today, I am joined by my buddy, Alan Cassidy of the band, The Black Dahlia Murder. Alan's been playing in this band for, you know, about eight years. He's the drummer of the band. Super cool dude, super talented drummer, fun to talk to. We had a really cool conversation that we're gonna get into here in a second. But before we do that, feel free to like, subscribe, follow, share, all that dumb internet stuff that keeps us alive in the algorithm. I could use the help. And if you like the show, why not tell some people about it? That'd be pretty cool. I'd appreciate it. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into my conversation with my friend, Alan Cassidy of The Black Dahlia Murder. Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat. Might actually just go sit in my car over here. I'm over at Chris's house. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Yeah, making some fish tank TVs. It is a weird, difficult process. <laughs> yeah, that sounded... He mentioned that last night, and that sounded really fucking cool. I was like super curious about that. I'm really excited. I've always wanted to do it because I've always had a, uh interest in... Um, I've always had an interest in like odd shaped fish tanks and um, just unique looking ones. And uh, I'd seen, I went to a bar in Australia a long time ago and like saw that they had one at the bar. And then um, I like started looking it up on YouTube, just thinking like, I wonder how hard this would be to make. And then of course, um, what is it? Uh, Detroit is such a like um, old city. I mean, it's an old state too, but like, so is Pennsylvania, but like you can find all sorts of fucking vintage stuff there. And so I just started trying to hunt down like old TVs that I could, uh, you know, take apart and, um, try and do this with. And, and then I just, I hit up Chris cause I've never done anything like this before. I've never used, um, a lot of these tools. I've never just, you know, tried to do anything from scratch kind of like this. I mean, there were videos, but it's still, somewhat of a like you got to figure out this process yourself uh type of idea so i brought him down here and i was like yeah i just want to see how possible this is and and get like you know somebody's assistance on this and then just see if maybe like i could do this at home and uh make some cash on it and it's still it's still totally up in the air as to like how doable long term it's going to be but it uh it's been fun at least i think we're gonna have some cool shit to show for it that's know? super so. cool dude like my first thought when he mentioned it was like are you using like the glass that comes with the tv because is that stuff like translucent or is it like there's like a coating on it isn't there uh yes um the only thing that we found so far that has been not what we expected was uh that like this old old like 1975 uh tv that we had so like, yeah, what you're talking about, we're using the screen on it and you had, we had to buy a uh, diamond, uh, like blade, like a diamond roto blade or whatever. And, um, that's, that's how you cut through the glass. And so the, I didn't know this either, but the entire like tube of the television is glass. Like it's just a shaped, you know, like piece. And and uh, I thought for some reason that it was really just going to be the front of it that was the glass and then the rest of it would be metal or something because I've never pulled apart a TV before or fucked with one. And um, so, yeah, when we got it out, uh, you know, you just cut off the face of it, essentially. And there's uh, there's like a harness. There's like a metal uh, strip that goes around the face of it. And then that holds it in place in the TV and um so we kept that there and like the videos that i had seen there was two different ones and uh it was weird because it was like one of them they attached the pieces to the edges like the the edges that you just cut and then another one they fit it inside of the screen and then they just like put silicone all down the sides of it to seal it up into the inside of the screen of the television 
And, um, so we went that route and, um, oh man, we've, we've seen all sorts of weird stuff because, uh, it's just like, you know, trying to adhere it to a, a piece of glass, but also trying to make sure that it holds itself. And we're using like acrylic and, and not glass like they were using. Um, and also the, all the TV screens are beveled. They're like curved. So you have to cut like a, a curve shape to uh, hug or, or to contour to the screen. And so this has all just been really weird to figure out. <laughs> and I imagine too, like, you know, if you're using like a hodgepodge of different TVs, everyone's probably a little bit different and it's probably mm-hmm. like hard to find like one surefire technique for every TV. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> the housing, the housing changes a lot so far in the three that we've done, the tubes and everything seem to be about the same and, and cutting out the shapes and kind of like measuring them to fit in the certain ways. Uh, works generally but yeah there's there's definitely differences on each one as to the the housing and and um you know how to make everything fit and then of course we're trying to support the tank and so then it definitely comes down to the housing of like how much space do we have to work with in order to like make a nice support underneath the tank and it's not gonna um you know, cause too many, uh, or, or cause too narrow of a, a space for it to be supported and shit like that. So yeah, it's like, it's definitely going to be, uh, I think, a, a you know, it's going to be difficult to, to do for every single one. You're going to have to adapt and work with it, but for the most part, we've got something figured out. So it's, it's not too much of an on, uncharted hell you know <laughs> totally totally i i feel like you know you're maybe somebody that has spent a large portion of their life living in some sort of an uncharted hell being in yeah. <laughs> being in the world of rock and roll right so you know we're recording i was like fuck it this is cool we're talking about fish tanks oh, let's okay, just start yeah. <laughs> but you know for anybody that doesn't know who i'm talking to i'm talking to a, a fine gentleman here by the name of alan cassidy and you play Hello. drums. You are a drummer. You play drums in a death metal band, a death that metal band correct. called the Black Dahlia Murder. Some yes, people have heard of you guys. You're pretty good. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> You're a pretty good band. So prior to playing drums or maybe even in this whole lifetime of existing as Alan Cassidy, do you have much of a background in engineering or DIY crafting that has led you to want to build TV fish tanks? No, I literally <laughs> just, I, I always like had the, the, like, you know, the idea to want to be crafty. I've always had the, um, I can't think of the word, the, like the motivation or the ambition, I guess, to, to want to do things, but just because of like my job and being on the road constantly, um, I just never really like took the time to explore certain things. And then of course, uh, not knowing anything, it's really hard to just jump in and, and do anything because you, you feel like I'm not going to be able to give this a good chance without somebody else's like guidance or knowledge or something. And so, you know, with everything just being as weird as it is, I just decided to like, come down to Pennsylvania and meet up uh, with my friend, Chris. And, um, he's, he's been, he toured with us when I was in, uh, my first touring band, the breathing process. And he was there to help us like fix and build and, you know, do all sorts of shit that we needed. And, and he was always just like, I know how to do that. I know how to fix this. I know how to build this or whatever. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was just like, he was the first guy who popped up into my head uh, with like proximity and just like general knowledge of this type of shit. And, um, so yeah, I, I decided that this was a good time to try and do some shit that I don't normally do. And my whole life has been drums for so long. I haven't gotten a chance to really explore a lot of other, um, creative outlets. And I feel like in this moment in time when we're all stuck at home and have nothing to do and no, like, end in sight as to when this is going to come back to normal. Um, you know, might as well just try and 
uh, make something out of it and just, you know, go with the flow. And so, uh, yeah, that's, I just decided to give it a shot and here we are. (laughs) That's awesome, man. You know, there are so many people that I know that are in, you know, the music world that whenever all of this stuff happened, it was so cool to see all of the other shit that they started getting into. It's been really, really fun. Because I feel like I, you know, I was really big into drawing and painting, but I'd been doing music for like the past de- like 10 years nonstop. And I just didn't put enough time into it. But now I was like, well, there's no shows. We're barely rehearsing. Let's draw some pictures. So I've been making a lot more art. That's been fun. And, you know, there's a small part of me, too, that like is kind of excited about the break as much of a bummer as it is it's been kind of nice having this time how do you feel about this oh i i completely agree it was um it was a very strange scenario because at first i think a lot of people really didn't have any sort of understanding of like well what's the timeline on this like how long are things going to be different and stopped and all that and i think a lot of us expected that like by this point in the year that everything was going to go back to normal. And it just was, you know, like it just showed how we didn't understand the gravity of the situation or, or the, you know, whole thing. And, and so like, I heard something that was really interesting. Um, on, uh, I've been listening to a shitload of, uh, last podcast on the left and, um, uh, and then been listening to, Ben Kissel's uh, other podcast, which is the um, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. It's like uh, political stuff. And it doesn't have anything to do with the, the political podcast, but he mentioned something that really resonated with me, which was like, I guess he was talking to a psychologist and his psychologist was like, um, do you do anything outside of like podcasting, which is like your job and everything? And he was like, no, I guess I really don't. And it came down to basically like uh, jobs, I think, define a lot of people because it's like you invest your entire life into your work. And so it's kind of like when you do that, you don't have a whole lot of other things outside of that going on unless you can really like time manage and uh you're just very motivated and you know, it's like, it's hard to do anything else but your job. Cause you, you really want to be focused on that. You want to be pouring all your extra time that you have left over sometimes, depending on what it is. If it's a passion thing, then like, yeah, you'll definitely want to like practice a bunch of drums. You'll want to um, learn a lot of extra stuff uh, that goes along with it. And you don't get a chance to really explore anything else. And then, and then it was like when this quarantine started, I was just like, holy shit, I'm not playing drums anymore. And this is weird because I'm just a drummer. And like without (laughs) drums, I feel like I'm nobody. Like I don't have any like real world skills because I've just invested all my time into being as good of a drummer as I possibly could. So it's like, I mean, and that's a big reality outside of the uh, pandemic is that, you know, your band could end at any time and you really have to like, have something to show for it outside of that, whether or not it's like you're a really good drummer that can jump into other projects or offer different services, or um, you have other skills to fall back on. But for a lot of people, you know, it's like their band is their baby or their job is their thing. And it's, it's hard to get into anything else. And so for, for this, it's been like amazing because I've gotten to have a break and I didn't realize like how important that was at first. Uh, it, It was sort of like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, I guess I'm not touring. And then it kind of set in where it's like, Oh shit, I'm not touring. Like I'm not making money. I'm not like playing drums. I'm not having a reason to do anything. Um, and then that got scary for a second, but now I'm just kind of like, man, it really does force you to look into new, uh, outlets or, or to explore things within whatever you're doing to try and, uh, further yourself and, and, maybe make some extra money or um, find things that you wanted to do or uh, learn things that you wanted to learn and, and see, you know, how that works and uh, what that can do for you. And I think it has been a very interesting and incredible uh, time to 
get to do this. I don't think a lot of people wanted to, but it is very much like a stop and look around and kind of like reassess your life and, and your interests and uh, what's important and you know, all that. So yeah, it's been, I think an overall positive thing. Definitely. I agree. It was, you know, I think I was really stubborn about it for maybe the first month or two where I was just like, this sucks. I hate this. I'm so angry at everything. Just like, because I just wanted to be out and playing. We had a bunch of stuff booked. We're supposed to go in the studio. You know, all that cool stuff that just didn't happen. Everything we were working towards. But right. once I got over that, it was very much like, a, oh, like I actually needed this free time and I didn't realize it because now I feel a lot better. We will get to go to the studio eventually. Those songs are still there. There will still be plenty of shows to play. There's still people that want to headbang out there in the world. They'll be waiting for us. So it's just kind of like got to be patient and just focus on myself. And maybe whenever we get to go to the studio and start doing stuff again, it'll be like 10 times better because we've had this much more time to like really nitpick all the material and all that stuff and just like work on just being better instead of like rush, rush, rush. I just I that's the thing that I don't miss the most was I always felt like it was just constantly one thing to the next. And I'm sure that, you know, it was like that for you as well, being in a touring band where it's like you don't get a lot like you don't barely get any time for yourself, let alone the band barely gets time to always do what the band wants to do. Like you want to tour, but do you know what I mean? There's like that nuance where it's like, uh, like, you know, this is cool, but like, I wish we could be working on this or that. Now you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I said, it's been nice to have that break because I've been in this band going on, I think eight years, uh, in October and it's been pretty much touring a lot of, uh, the time, most of those years, there's been maybe one or two years in there where we've, uh, where we slowed down. We didn't do so much. Um, and you know, that, that allows you to have some time to do things, but at the same time, it's not nearly consistent enough to really, um, dig into that kind of stuff or, or to like spend enough quality time to get into things. And it's the same way on tour too. It's like you, you have a day that you more or less can do a lot of things with if you want to, but it's really broken up by so many segments that it's like, you know, you, you got to be ready to do shit for like an hour now. And then you sit around for like an hour and a half, two hours. And then you got to do stuff for another like hour to an hour and a half. And then you sit around for another like two, three hours. And it's just a bunch of that all day long to the point where it's like, you can't really start anything serious unless you can put it down and keep coming back to it. You know? Yeah. It's like constant, the hurry up and wait constantly. Yes. Yes. So that gets annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With yourself, being a drummer, super invested in drumming, as you've mentioned before, putting all of your time into this craft, getting as good as you can at it, making it your profession, being in a very successful band, touring all over the goddamn place, doing your thing. What's it like, you know, know, like, what's the feeling for you knowing that, like, you know, the thing that you're most passionate about is also like your livelihood and something that you rely on to pay the bills? I know that that could be difficult for a lot of people where, you know, there are some people who just kind of have their job, then they have their passion. They're two separate things. But for you, it's like a whirlwind of all together. So what's it what's it like been like, you know, over the past decade plus, like getting into this lifestyle? So I think I was in a a lot better of a position than um, some other people usually are. And that was with starting doing this at the age that I started it at and i was like in local bands from the time i was like 15 16 and then i didn't really start touring or anything till i was about 19 and then i just basically spent my 20s like going in and out of bands really quickly too it was it was strange because it was like um i joined a band out of ohio that i was only with for like maybe a year a year and a half or something and that got me to like 22 years old and then, and I was like, I went out there and I, I lived with a bandmate and his brother. And like, luckily I had a job, but they didn't really make me pay rent and stuff. Like I didn't have the, the full, um, real world obligations of like, if you 
it's like sink or swim. If you can't pay the bills then you're out of here or whatever, um, which is what a lot of people have to do. You know, it's just, it's real life. You don't have anybody supporting you. You just are, you gotta be the adult. And, um, so that helped. And then I moved back home for a second and, uh, but when I moved back home, it was really just like, okay, now my stuff's here, but I'm going back out on tour again. Cause I joined, um, this band, Abigail Williams, and I was with them for a year and I did like three or four tours with them. They were each about a month to a month and a half a piece. And that kept me out and about for a while. I was networking, meeting a lot of people, wasn't having to pay for too, too much stuff. Um, but like, you know, I was still living the broke lifestyle with that, where it was just like dollar menu and, uh, you know, like just sleeping in a van and that's all fine and great. You know, if that's really what you want to be doing, if music is your passion, then like it shouldn't suck that, that much, especially at that age too. You're like really wanting to get out there and do shit. And then a year, like literally September, 2011 to, uh, to September, 2012, uh, I was in the band and then just as that was ending, I joined black Dahlia murder. And that was like a total, um, you know, like just perfect lined up event that if I didn't have that, you know, it was, there was a lot of luck involved, but I feel like to have my livelihood mixed in with my passion, it's great because the motivation is there. The, the, constant drive to be like yeah all i would love to be doing is just writing and playing music that i want to be doing and getting to travel getting to see the world um it's not always super glorious because you're you're playing some weirdo town where there's not a whole lot to do but there's always like a story with some of those places you know uh and and it's like interesting it's it's just a time and a place uh that you know may not like you're looking at it then and it might not be eventful, but later down, later on down the road, you'd be like, wow, there was that weirdo show that we had like in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. And like this happened <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so that's always been pretty cool, but it is really stressful and really like scary at times because every time I had a project folder, I was leaving a project. I was always like terrified, just like, and especially when I didn't have a name for myself either. I, I was like, what am I doing? Where am I going to go? Like, I just feel like the bottom has been pulled out from underneath me. And I, I feel like that's kind of what's going on with a lot of this COVID related stuff is that everyone's worlds are being flipped upside down. They're being forced to reevaluate what's going on because it's just like the normal day to day and, and the things that they were banking on is gone. And so it's really scary to be in that position of just uncertainty and not knowing where to go. And so far, you know, with everything I've, I've landed in a position that has, given me some stability but even then i don't know my schedule i don't know when i'm going to tour um every year is different uh the amount of tours that we get is different and so it's like it's um it's cool to be doing what i want to do and and enjoying traveling and playing music but it does it definitely does give you some stress and it's not for everyone because eventually you do want some stability in your life or some like guaranteed scheduled time of some kind of either be home or um to be like uh uh doing certain types of work or or um whatever and and so like i don't know i i enjoy it but i know it's not for everyone and uh but i just i love playing music and i'm glad that i get to do what i do and i'm glad that like the one thing that i feel like i'm really really good at in life is something that i get to like shine with and and you know share with people and just like i can work the best that i can work with it because that's you know my strength and so i'm i'm happy about that but it does get stressful you know you just have to network and and really keep yourself in the mindset of like i can make this work i just need to work hard and um and you know like put myself out there and and i can you know, do it if I, if I really want it, you know? Totally. Totally. You know, I think that a huge key to success in life, regardless of what you do, whether you're building fish tank TVs or playing drums in a metal band or, you know, selling cars or slinging tacos. If you want to be successful, 
hard work, obviously, but be nice. You've got to be nice to people and don't be afraid to talk to people. And I think that that's, you know, if we like lean into, you know, the musician conversation of this, I feel like a lot of people get into music because they're like, introverted weird kids they're not the best at talking to people and then we throw ourselves into this world where it's like if you're not willing to be somewhat extroverted or somewhat social you're not going to thrive so like when you were growing up did you find yourself to be more of an introvert or were you like an outgoing kid i think i have somewhat of a a balance of those things i i always liked being loud and goofy but at the same time, I've always enjoyed having my space and having alone time and stuff. But I definitely value both of those things. And it is very strange, too, because you're constantly in and out of your comfort zone. It's like you may be touring with a band and enjoying like the people that you're with and the situations that you're doing and stuff. But then, you know, you're on a different tour all the time you're with different bands you're meeting new people and now like for that month that group of people that you're surrounded by are going to be your new like co-workers essentially i mean like you're not forced to you're not forced to like do anything with them totally but you got to see them every day you got to be around them you got to kind of like load in and out your gear with them and you know sometimes that can be a pain in the ass in one way or another like you know, oh, they're they're always in our fucking spot, you know, and like and that kind of shit. Or or you're just meeting people that are maybe intimidating only because you really idolize them or you really look up to them and you're and you're like, fuck, now all that confidence and all that like uh you know, that assurance of me being myself is like I don't really know what to do now, uh, because I'm I'm around this person and I don't want to like you know, make an ass of myself, but I also don't want to feel like I'm being weird because I can't be myself. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting balance. And I guess it really depends on who you are. Cause if you're, if you're fine being yourself, I mean, there's so many people that I think like not only I, but many people value and cherish for the fact that they are just unabashedly themselves, you know, like they are themselves and you're like, that's great. I love that. Like, you are you and you don't put on a filter for anyone. Sometimes it's somewhat necessary in like a professional environment and shit like that. (laughs) But, um, but you know, like I think it's, I think it's important to gauge the situation, but also like do enjoy being yourself, get comfortable in your own skin. Know that like, know your strengths and your weaknesses and just like, you know, um, I, I think like don't be too intimidated or, or weirded out, uh, by a lot of new situations. Cause that's all it really is. It's kind of like you're in a new situation all the time. You just have to adapt. You have to learn how to overcome. And eventually you will be able to, to deal with that shit. But yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of like been my experience throughout most of my uh, musical career and, and personality and everything. Yeah. Whenever you were, you know, starting to play drums, were you like, a metal kid like from the start like i want to fucking play metal or was it like did it build up to that because i'm curious i feel like, um, like sorry i don't mean to cut you off but i have another part oh, yeah. of this question because it's something that I, I i see with guitar players a lot where like they're want to like learn more and more guitar challenges them and like gets them into different more extreme genres of music just because they want to learn how to play it it like changes their palate Almost like if you're like eating hot sauce, you start eating spicier and spicier stuff. You know, was it like that with you with drums? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it was like it started out, you know, as an evolution because I don't think anyone can just totally jump into, <laughs> you know, yeah. death metal like right off the bat. I mean, it's a it's a weird, scary thing when you're of a certain age, like when you're a kid of a certain age and it's just like it feels like almost wrong in a way. Cause you're just like, man, they're just like glorifying death and carnage and like Satan and all this crazy shit that, uh, you know, you feel, uh, almost like intimidated and scared by. And then like, but it's ultimately just the musicianship, I think. And I mean, some of the imagery is like, it's, it's cool. It grows on you. It just becomes like a horror movie and shit. But, um, when I was younger, I grew up on like, you know, the Beatles. And that was like when I was really, really young. And then, um, 
And then I started getting into like Blink-182 and Green Day and then like Nirvana. And so progressively, I'm just getting heavier and heavier. And I totally was like always looking for that next thing that was going to make it heavier and heavier for me, too. Um, uh, Because I just I don't know. I I just kind of kept wanting to lean in that direction. And then um, I finally found like Slipknot and and like uh, Pantera and Slayer. And then I was just like, yep, this is totally where I want to be. And it, and like you were saying, um, as you're listening to a lot of that stuff, I think what's great about metal is that it does have a very unique blend of um, feels and uh, feels like rhythmically and melodically. And, um, and it does really like make you want to expand outwards into those directions of the things that you really connect with. And it's like, then with shit like, um, the faceless when they first came out and then when they, then when they released planetary duality, which was such a, um, big, like proggy kind of death metal album. It was almost like everybody was like, what you can do this kind of stuff. Or at least that was kind of the, I think the first, like, mainstream taste that a lot of people had and and experienced and i know on every level with that with the guitar playing the drums um the songwriting ideas and shit like that i think it really opened people's eyes to wow like there's so much um different stuff that we can do and and there's so many different like influences here that i haven't really heard before and um and I don't know. I just I think growing up on a lot of different musics too, uh, or styles. I was interested in a lot of different things all the time. I may not have like actively explored them very often, but when I heard those influences being thrown in, I wanted to see where they came from, and I wanted to know like more about that because I liked the sound of that, and I liked the idea of throwing in different. Uh, stuff to music to to expand those ideas and come up with different things so yeah i would say that like at first i got into metal and then i and then i like was very solidly into metal which i still am but um then it really led me to wanting to listen to a lot of different stuff because the musician in me was like very interested behind it and so now it's like nowadays i still listen to metal but like i i listen to a bunch of other shit on top of that that like as much if not more sometimes and like half the time i find myself wanting to listen to like brazilian bossa nova music like i feel like at any point in my day in my year in my mood it's like i could turn that stuff on and i'm like this is great this is like not only is it relaxing but it's like interesting and it just it's it's fun you know and and so yeah i guess that's just kind of been my musical evolution Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, over time, once you've been making music for so long, your palate changes and you just start wanting to listen to music for different reasons. You know, it's like really hard now for me to engage with metal the way that I did when I was a teenager, because like nothing really sounds as extreme as it did when I was a kid. Like very few things sound as intense as that first Slipknot album when I was 14 to like dead, you know, it's like, yeah, once I've been like, cause I've like kind of like I've been in the kitchen. So now like half of the metal albums that I listen to now, I like think of them as electronic albums because of the way they're produced, you know, like it's so oh, like, yeah. it's so like, this is like, you know, I'm like, I'm like listening to everything and I, I don't dislike modern metal production, which w- we could get into that because it's an interesting conversation. But with modern metal production, I know like so much of it, especially on like a more, it just, it just sounds like techno music to me, but like distorted techno because of like, you know, like the, the, the crazy, like 1000 string guitars and everything detuned and crazy drum triggers through the roof. And it's just like, this is cool. This is catchy, but it doesn't, I don't feel the same when I listen to it. I do. I do want to add because I feel very passionately about this and I, uh, I don't think I've said it enough in public, but, um, I love like bands earlier stuff. I love it when they don't have that level of fame where they're almost like, um, forced to have a good produced sound. Sure. Like I love the rawness 
of a lot of the early releases because especially with heavy music um and even sometimes not heavy music not only does it have more character to it because it is so different and not dialed in and it like it's just very early on in the in the band's career so then their material sounds a certain way because of that production but like dude i kind of think that it just it gives it a certain personality that they never seem to ever go back to for understandable reasons but it sounds that's my favorite is always when it's like raw and aggressive dude you know what that's like it's like what you were talking about when you're around people that are just themselves but then they get around some other people and they start acting kind of weird not quite like themselves right I could definitely see that. A lot of bands kind of get into that spot. I will give it up to Slipknot, though. I still think Slipknot sounds like Slipknot. They could be a lot yeah. worse now. <laughs> of all the bands, they could have gotten a lot worse, but they didn't. <laughs> I will say, though, that, like, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, pretty much everything that they put out has been good, and, and the production hasn't ever been too weird but i mean there's just like you said there's nothing that really matches that self-titled sound it's just very aggressive and raw like i said but also then i don't know volume three came out and that was a bit of a weird one like i feel like the tones on that were uh, like kind of strange and kind of like more fuzzy it was like not so uh I don't know. It just, it just didn't have that aggression that it had before. And then, um, but like lamb of God as the palaces burn, apparently like, uh, Devin Townsend had recorded that. And then he was sending the reels or I guess it was reels through the mail. And it was like, it got x-rayed and apparently it damaged the like sonic quality of the <laughs> tape. And so because of that, it lended, another layer of like trashiness to the sound and then i guess like chris adler was using like quarters taped to a kick drum head that he was playing on and stuff and dude i don't know what it is it's just like i love the tones of those guitars i love the way the drums sound on that and it just it sounds fucking pissed like it's not perfect and that's what's great about it i love that yeah, yeah, no, I I agree one hundred percent. I really, really, really love that Lamb of God record, and I know that there are a lot of people who feel kind of iffy about like the like the OG mix because I know all that stuff's been remastered since or whatever. But like, I'm like, no, yeah. I love the old stuff just because like I had never heard anything like it, and like to this day, there yeah. isn't really another album that sounds like that, and that's kind of what makes it great. Yeah, definitely. I, I fully agree. And like I've said it before um, to other people that like I when I was younger and I had first found them, uh, they were like on a um, the Headbangers Ball compilation CD. And uh, it was like when I walked to the bus stop in school or, or to go to school and uh, anytime I just basically put it on my Walkman, uh, that was the very first track that would come on. Some days I would be like, I'm just not feeling like hearing this right now. I almost just want to like skip it before it even starts because it's just going to be so abrasive. But for some reason, I just hear that first like two or three seconds of like ruin and the way that like all the tones were and everything. And it would just like draw me in immediately. Immediately, I'd be like, I didn't want to hear this, but now I actually like got to finish this song because it's so <laughs> fucking heavy. It's like, you know, uh, you wake up and you're like, you know, I really don't want cinnamon rolls, but then you smell them and you're like, you know what? I'm going to eat yeah. a fucking cinnamon roll. <laughs> exactly. Goddamn cinnamon rolls again. <laughs> Always bringing me back. Yeah. But um, in terms of, you know, modern, modern metal and trends in metal and things that have like, you know, evolved over the past decade or so, we're not getting any younger. I've started to finally get into my point where I'm like, I don't like young kid music. It's for, like I've fought it for so long, but now I hear a lot of these young bands and I'm like in the back of my head, I'm like, fuck that. But you know, I don't want to be that guy because I hated that guy when I was growing up. Do you ever catch yourself doing that? Dude, way, way, way too much. <laughs> and I, um, I definitely asked myself recently, oh God, when did I become this person? Because I am totally like, I'm totally opinionated on that type of stuff. And I'm like, ah, just ain't what it was. And like, even <laughs> when yeah. I was, uh, 
when I was growing up too, you know, like, I mean, we had the whole just like metalcore explosion of bands and, and uh, just everything was built on like open breakdowns, like, and it's like, you know, you fucking love that. You eat that shit up. And then it's like years later, um, after, you know, a lot of older people too are like making fun of us, like, oh my God, you like that crap? What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. And then you start like, finding other things from before that time period and just like earlier death metal bands and um different genres and especially just those different time periods in the genre and stuff and then you start going oh holy shit there was like a lot of fucking substance to music like there was a lot of great ideas and riffs and like talent that went into this and i can see why people like are pissed that we're just writing open, 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 open breakdowns. <laughs> and um, it's like, you know, there were definitely bands, I think that utilized some of those things and, and made shit sound good, but it just couldn't be everyone, you know, like not everyone's got something great to contribute to that. But I, I really do agree. It sucks. It sucks being the old man. I don't really know how to sit back and appreciate what's coming out for what it is and what it's doing. And I don't know if that's because my tastes lie elsewhere or if I'm just not hearing it in a certain way or and appreciating it and stuff, but it definitely did surprise and confuse me that I'm like this way now. So yeah, I, I, I totally hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever, you know, you guys are working on new music and things like that, you know, do you have like a, a pretty like formula, like way of writing songs at this point? Do you find yourselves like being concerned, like without like, there's some bands and I don't think that your band is one of these bands, but there are a lot of bands that are kind of like, they play to the trends. It's like, they're always trying to sound a decade younger than they are. I feel like, you know, the Black Dahlia murder has sounded like the Black Dahlia murder since they've started. It's very, you know, their own thing. Like you guys really have your own thing, which is great. But I'm still curious, like how as a band, how much the band pays attention to what everybody else is doing. And if you're kind of like, eh, fuck it, we're going to do our own thing. Or if you're like, oh, maybe we should try these different techniques, whether it be in songwriting or in production. Um, I think it's all... It's. I think for the most part, the writing is very much based in what we care about as like music listeners, and especially I think more along the lines of what maybe we were listening to at the times. And you know, because I'm not like a guitar player, but I mean, uh, at least Brandon, I don't think is very concerned with writing anything that is more geared towards what's going on right now. He's, he's more concerned about like trying to, I feel like write a continuation of, uh, you know, shit that he heard that was out of the eighties or whatever that he fucking loved. And, um, and we had a lot of, uh, you know, different influences on this last record because of that. And, um, as far as I go with writing my stuff, like it is very much a, what does this remind me of? What have I been listening to? What do I want to add for, you know, this idea? Because like I said, what does it remind me of? What have I been listening to? But um, I don't think the band has ever tried to stay, uh, you know, up to date with what's going on. I think it just really came down to, just satisfying ourselves with music and, and trying to write, you know, these ideas that we have in our heads for stuff and just making sure that it sounds like Dahlia, but maybe just a, you know, a, a continuation of the band and not necessarily one album or whatever, but just the next logical step uh, away or, or with, you know, um, the things that we've already done. And so I always kind of think that like we have a sound that we like to stick with, but we're always trying to kind of like um, step outside of, you know, the comfort zone that we have just a little bit. And you can always hear that in a lot of different songs and albums that there are like uh, songs that you haven't heard before that sound, you know, a certain way on a certain album. And um, I think that's, 
absolutely important for any musician, especially if you're going to stick with something that you want to do primarily, uh, you have to make it fresh. You can't just keep coming out with the same exact thing constantly. And, um, and it's been stranger more and more in the last releases because it's like, uh, we have put a lot different stuff in those releases that hasn't been quite what's come from before. And I think, yeah, you're going to run into more and more of that as time goes on. Cause I mean, this is like album nine that we just did. So you've covered a lot of ground in that, at that point, you got to kind of like, you know, start stretching towards different things that, haven't already been done and, and kind of make it a lot different in, in certain ways. It's interesting because in heavy metal, unlike a lot of other genres of music, you could really like expand like your dynamic range of what you're doing and go in all sorts of different places and make it work. Whereas it's not as easy to maybe do that for a country band, not to throw country under the bus, just saying, you know, like there's, it's just not as dynamic of a genre, like in terms of guitar playing or drumming or vocally, like you could do all kinds of stuff, but the yin and yang of that with heavy metal is like you, if you do too much stuff, if you get a little bit too outside the box, you could really like lose like sight of what the project is and what it's supposed to be. Unless you're like some weird fucking like proggy between the buried and me type band that could just do whatever they want and they could somehow get away with it. Like that's cool. Good for you. But like not every band in metal can do that. And I think that there's like a band like black Dahlia murder that has pretty much been rooted in death metal. It's like, there's plenty of places you can go. But again, like you're saying after, you know, the, the nine albums that the band has put out, they've been a band for almost two decades at this point, probably. Uh, and then, you know, death metal has been around for, you know, a good 40 or maybe even close to 50 years, depending on how nuanced you want to get at the origins. It's like, what do we do with this genre to push it forward? I don't know, but we got to try. And it's, it's uh yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting, weird scenario there as well, where um, you do feel like, the genre should have run out of gas at some point, or it is about to run out of gas. And you're kind of like, I just can't see this going anywhere. But like, I think what we've seen over at least three decades is a ton of bands pop up that are taking all sorts of types of different things. And it's like, there's, there's rehashing, but there's also like combinations. There's like different combinations of things and different, like, and then of course there's like always some alien band that comes out and you're just like holy shit this sounds nothing like anything that i know of or it sounds very slightly like this but that's about all i can really pin it with and um and i just think that like there are a lot of influences and a lot of different people with different brains that approach this shit in different ways that leads to new creative ideas and um i think as long as People can be open-minded and write something heavy. You can keep getting new results out of it. And then as far as the, um, you know, reinventing yourself as a, as a band or, or writing new shit all the time, I think that really comes down to who you are as a musician. Like if you're somebody who just is so fucking well versed or well under, like understands what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, what it is that they like about the things that they're trying to incorporate into certain things and, and really, you know, doing a different style with that, then you will be successful because you can make it work. It doesn't always work. And it's definitely not everyone who can just come in and be like, yeah, well, I was doing this one thing and now I just want to go completely like 180 on that and do this instead. And like, but you know, for the people who can do it and make every album sound different, it's probably just cause yeah, they're just like a composer brained person. They're like, they can hear all the, uh, all the characteristics of this different shit that they want to do and, and totally figure that out, like the details to it and then make that happen. And I'm really jealous of those people. I like when bands do that type of shit, but I, I respect them 
when they can make it work and when they can really like, you know, you're not upset that they came out with that album. Cause you're like, shit, it just sounds so good. It might not totally be them or whatever, but like, I, I love this. And, um, and I don't know. I think, I think that's great about metal is that there's so many different influences and so many different people who approach it that I think for, I don't know, as long as anybody wants to keep putting in effort and, and listening to different shit and trying things that are outside the box, we hopefully will, continue to get different results and, and cooler and newer sounding things over time. Yeah. I think that one of the big detriments to maybe not just metal, but music in general over the past few years has been like this single culture where like, I feel like a lot of bands are being forced to like release more material more frequently, which I totally get from a business perspective, but like from a creative perspective, I feel like it's really hard to put out that much quality material to keep up with like the demand of Spotify algorithms. And like, I just hope that that doesn't like bleed into this creative process that we're talking about here, where bands taking this extra time to really, you know, find the next thing for their next sound. I feel like, you know, there's some bands that, you know, if they aren't active for two years, they could just wipe off the face of the earth. And it's like scary to think about that. But some people, I think, need that time. And if you think about, you know, the 80s, 90s, you know, two, three years between a, an album wasn't an uncommon thing for a lot of the bigger bands. But now it's like, yeah. if you don't do that, it's like you're crazy. It's like you better have a yeah. single up every other month on Spotify if you want to stay relevant. It's like, how the fuck is this manageable? To me, and, you know, it's, it's different with everybody. But to me, it's like, I think having time between music not only allows the musician uh to come up with different ideas and not get burnt out and not um feel drained of creativity but it also really allows the fans to fully absorb the material because it's like you know there's definitely albums from a, like a couple of years ago to several years ago that i'm like getting into now and uh you know listening to a lot and and being like oh okay this is like the first time that i've really you know gotten into this or or at least like given it a few different listens within a very uh you know concentrated amount of time and now i can really appreciate this and um i just think that bands who release too much material too often it doesn't allow anyone to get familiar with the stuff that they did. And then you just feel like you're lost in a, a discography where like you, you can't like fully enjoy it and you can't like take it all in because you're already forced to be focused on the next thing. And at that point, I, I like, I hate to say it, but I kind of just give up like, sure. And it's weird. Cause then, you know, you'll come back like three or four albums later or something, which could be like, three or four years later and you're like oh shit that album they just released is really good and i haven't heard their uh, like other three or four albums like i feel bad now because i guess they've been like putting out quality shit all the time but i just feel like there's so much other stuff that either i get pulled into listening to because that's just where i want to be at that moment or that's just what's like grabbing my attention or you know i'm just not in the mood to to listen to it at the moment and i think it just it creates a demand from the fans for new material and then they are ready and they're wanting it. And it, it just allows everybody to kind of have more interest in new music, you know? Totally. And there's like, there's so many ding dong bands out there. It's like, give everybody a chance to release something like, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I get it from a monetary perspective. You know, you want to stay relevant so people know that you're a band and blah, blah, blah. But like, how like ego driven do you have to be to feel like you have to release a single every other week in order to be relevant so people are listening to you? Like, you're not the only fucking person on the planet. Maybe I'm only speaking to like SoundCloud rappers right now. I'm not too sure the demographic that I'm talking to, but like, uh, I just feel like I know a lot of people that release material like that. And it's like, I just don't see it like evolving in the way that maybe it would. And it's hard for me to like engage with it for the reasons you were talking about. If I see somebody release new music, like 
I kind of want to hear like a whole body of work. I like to like sit down and engage with the whole thing. Granted, I mean, like, you know, if the Black Dahlia Murders putting out a new album, it's like, here's the here's the first single. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to check it out. But, you know, in general, I like to hear an album. I'm an album guy. I come from albums. I still, you know, have my memories of having my CD player at the bus stop like you did. And like, you know, I'd have my two CDs that I took with me to school that day or whatever. And like, I just still engage with music like that it's been hard for me to ever get away from it yeah and um i think it's also strange too because it's uh i I think when you release a single and it's like you released that single and that's probably like the only thing you're gonna get out that year maybe because like maybe you're working on an album and it's gonna come out the next year it's a weird snapshot of a point in time and it's almost kind of a tease sometimes or at least it leaves me not as like satisfied where you hear a single and you're like, damn, that is fucking awesome. I hope I hear more of that on the next album. And then the next album comes out and it's like barely, if at all, anything like that single. And then you're just like, well, what the fuck? Like, I really wanted to hear more of that material. But like, you know, when you're in a a creative mindset of like writing a body of work, you might have like only felt like that because you knew you only had to do one idea like this, or you only had to release one thing and you're not releasing a full album where it's like, Oh, well, this is just what's coming out of me right now. And this is like what I think I can sustainably do for an album, what I want to do and all that other stuff. And so, yeah, the single model is, um, it's strange, at least from a creative perspective, I think, um, monetarily, like you're saying, it may make sense and it may be, uh, what, you know people want but it's just kind of like you can't you can't force things and you don't want to you know Mm -hmm. i think a lot of it may come from like the increased self-production too there's so many bands on all different levels that are you know completely self-recording now so you know they're hanging out and they put together one or two songs well we'll just put it out because we're self-distributing now and whatever it doesn't matter we don't have to wait to put out an album so there's that as well yeah totally and i mean it could be a weird situation that we get into in the future where it's like uh i'm releasing like an album or it's going to be a collection or something but like every month or two you're going to get a new single and then eventually that's going to be worked into a collection or something but like that may just give you a weird screwy collection of music who the fuck knows but i'm sure that like somebody's probably willing to do that yeah yeah i mean i guess ultimately whatever works for you and your band there's plenty of bands out there that are doing this model and they're very successful you know they're like they have patreons and all this other weird stuff that bands do now i'm like cool you know make your money it's important i'm not hating by any means it's just like strange for me just because i come from like a different a different background but if you don't adapt you'll just get fucking trampled on so we kind of have to adapt and learn what's going on and i guess somewhat play ball if we want to continue to keep doing this for the next 10 years yeah totally and i i'm glad that you know dolly is big and and but we're metal and at the same time it's uh it's nice that you know we don't have all the fingers in our pot that like some other musicians have to deal with like we don't have everybody like making us do things on a schedule or sound a certain way or or any of that crap and we get to kind of be our own people and um you know it's it's nice that we don't have to follow that that total business model but yeah for you guys don't have a stylist yeah right i mean um well if you start seeing us wearing affliction shirts at any point uh please please step back and realize that maybe there's there's someone behind the scenes and it's not on our own uh you know choice (laughs) totally in terms of all of this like crazy stuff as we're wrapping up here so we're, we're about to hit our hour here that's usually how long i like to go for Okay. With the future of everything that's going on, I'm starting to see some live things are being announced. People are announcing tours for like next year. Other things are happening. What are you guys doing? Anything? Or are you just kind of like just hanging in the shadows and waiting for the right time? I I think it's mostly that. I think that it makes sense that a lot of people want to structure things and of course get a lock on venues and be able to know that if it 
is possible to do things at that point that they will be assuredly happening and uh, people will know where to go when it's happening. But as far as um, everything with us goes, I think we're just, we're waiting like the rest of the world or at least a majority of the rest of the world to figure out just like what's going on and when, when can this be safe for everyone? Cause it's like, we don't want to, um, we don't want to go out there and get sick. And we especially don't want to be spreading that sickness to everyone because it's like, you know, being a touring musician, you're in a different town every single day, like 600 miles away from the last town. And you're just like interacting with those places and people on a, on a regular basis for 30 days. And, um, so yeah, it's just, we want to stay safe. We want everybody else to stay safe. And I think we will all have a general understanding of when this is going to be right to, to go out and do stuff. But as far as, you know, maybe a live stream or something, I don't know. That's, uh, that's something we haven't really talked about too much. Um, I think on a certain level, we're all kind of, um, appreciating our break but at the same time um it is difficult to try and get everyone into one room when like uh three out of the five of us live in uh different states and so it's it's a bit of a a challenge yeah 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 i mean i live in the same city with all of my fucking bandmates and we haven't even all been together in the same room for a rehearsal in like a month and a half like there's still something happening every week but not everybody has been there at the same time because it's like I mean, fucking like people were like moving like, well, I guess we're going to buy a house and other people were like, well, my kid's sick and this and just all this other adult shit. And I think people were just like not sweating it either because it's like, well, we don't have any gigs. We're not going to be in the studio or anything. It's like, well, if we have nothing to do, okay, let's hang out and make some noise and crack open a couple beers and just chill for a bit. But other than that, that's really all it's been just like super laid back. It kind of it kind of feels like being like the early days of being in a band again, which is kind of nice, very low pressure. You know, um, we're, we're, yeah. not, <laughs> we're not talking about like business strategies in between trying to figure out stupid blast beat parts and shit, you know, like all that dumb fucking like we're all, that's the thing too, is like, you know, we're like completely unsigned independent and it's always been like, you know, we don't have other people to figure things out for us. So our band meetings were always like, a little bit of playing and a lot of talking about shit that nobody wants to talk about, which I mean, I'm sure like yeah. all bands have to do, but it's nice now because it's been a lot more just like hanging out, riffing, chilling, no, no business. Right. And hopefully that brings a sense of renewal back to the creative process and just enjoyment out of the time spent together. And then of course, like you're saying, it's like people are buying houses and stuff. And it's like, when you, when you lose that immediate pressure and, and, uh, work load, you kind of start realizing, Oh, there's other things that I can be taking care of, uh, for my life that I've been needing to, or wanting to do. And so, yeah, then just priority shift. But I think overall, I think this is, this is good for some people. I know that like this really fucked a lot of people or at least made them very, upset and sad that they lost momentum that they had going on and, and we're trying to do things. And it's like, same thing for us. We lost our, uh, our, our, uh, album release tour that we were going to do with Testament. And, um, we had a lot of festivals we were going to do in the summer. And, uh, we had just recently, um, switched booking agents and, um, we were going to start touring with some like, uh, uh, different bands and stuff that we hadn't been out with yet. And yeah, it's just, it's weird, but I think in the end it's going to make everybody appreciate it. Uh, you know, the little things and, and getting back to, uh, that eventually at some, uh, sometime down the road. Yeah, definitely been like a huge shift reshift of priorities and focus. So it's pretty cool. I feel really clear about things now, just kind of waiting for the green light, I guess, to kind of, Dip, dip my toes back in the water and start making some noise for a bunch of weirdos in a club somewhere. I'm looking forward totally. to it. So until then, you'll be making fish tank TVs and maybe getting into some other stuff. I'm going to definitely be doing <laughs> a lot of music. Um, I've, uh, I, I, I just put out there today that I want to start um, writing uh, drum parts for people's material. Like uh, I, so Get a hold of me if you want drum parts. And um, then 
I'm also going to be writing stuff with uh, my other project. I, I'm a part of this uh, basically studio project called uh, Slugge, and they're based out of the UK. Um, it's like a melodic blackened death metal, essentially, yeah. and um, kind of proggy too. Uh, and um, other than that, yeah, probably just exploring some some different avenues of shit that I haven't gotten around to doing. And uh, yeah, just see how long we have to ride this out and get creative. <laughs> totally totally well alan thank you for chatting with me today it's been a good little chat had a nice yeah, little talk definitely. about all sorts of things appreciate you making the time safe travels back home i know you're going to be driving back to michigan with your tvs and yes. uh, i hope i hope every everything makes it safe i hope you stay safe hope everyone in the band is safe and i look forward to seeing y'all again sometime soon up on the big stage yelling in my face looking forward to it (laughs) (laughs) thanks man i appreciate it thanks for having me on you got it dude take care of yourself and uh have a good day that's about it all right right, (laughs) 